0: Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org/thrive.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami and this is Essential Conversations. Before we meet today's guest, let me tell you about another podcast I host called Conversations on the Edge. Conversations on the Edge introduces you to a motley crew of thinkers with offbeat and bold perspectives on spirituality, community and culture. You can find the show on apple podcasts google play and spotify if you enjoy essential conversations and i know you do you will love conversations on the edge just as much our guest today gina naluai is a native hawaiian and a cultural practitioner she's a physical and massage therapist by trade and she teaches lomi lomi for the past 10 years lomi is her lifestyle and she loves to share the hawaiian healing practices teachings and values with students from all over the world. Gina and her work with Lomi Lomi is the cover story in the March, April issue of spirituality and health magazine. So we're going to dive a little deeper than the article. We encourage you to read the article as well as listen to the podcast. Gina Naluai, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. What a pleasure. Mahalo.
1: Well, you are welcome. So I admit to being completely ignorant of Hawaii's indigenous culture in general and Lomi Lomi in particular. And even after reading Kalia's article about you, I certainly can't say I understand what you do and the context in which you do it. So let's start with the basics. What is the basic worldview of the indigenous Hawaiian culture?
2: Well, gosh, on a world view, I think probably we were just like a little speck out in the Pacific until probably for the rest, for most of the world, until probably Elvis came about and did Blue Hawaii and, you know, movies like the South Pacific. And really, that's when tourism started here in the islands. And I think that's when the world kind of opened to Hawaii as a place of paradise, But I don't think it was until more recently that people started understanding or wanting to even understand more about our indigenous culture. And I think a lot of that came about in the 70s. In the 70s, we were having our own cultural renaissance surrounding a celestial navigational voyage on a vessel called the Hokulea that actually just made a trip around the world to like, I think, 300 countries around the world just in the last few years. So that was the beginning and continuation of of that voyage. But that was really when we began to take pride in our culture and to explore, I think, within our own culture once again, after a lot of colonialism and modernization, our indigenous practices.
1: So, Gina, it seemed to me from reading the article that at the heart of the Hawaiian worldview, is this sense of relationship between you and your family and by family, I mean the extended family, and then even the family of the earth. So how important is relationship to the culture and then to the work of Lomi Lomi?
2: Well, you know, we were here isolated in the Pacific. So village and family community was everything, you know, the, Elders were the wisdom keepers, and um, we were working sustainably with the land here for thousands of years before we had any contact with places other than Polynesia, I would say. But I do believe that that sense of community and that sense of family is what allowed us to be sustainable here for so long. That relationship with not only one another, but also the land, specifically the water and our, our resources and how to caretake those resources for longevity has been, I think, at the foundation of our communities and how we have strived over time to work together to, to create that lifestyle for ourselves here. It is paramount.
1: And it seemed that Lomi Lomi draws on that. Is that a fair assessment?
2: It is. You know, there was a healer in every home. And I actually believe in our earliest origins in all cultures throughout the globe that that was also the case, that there was always someone who was in the community who carried the wisdom, carried the knowledge, worked with the plants, um, supported the people spiritually and physically, and uh, that wasn't any different here. So it was always family work. And the elders were, you know, caretaking the women through their birthing time. The children were walking on their parents' backs when they came off the canoe and out of the, the tarot patch. And the well-being of the community depended on that, not just the physical well-being, but, but you know, the spiritual emotional well-being of the community depended on having those people in place to, to be of support.
1: So how does that connect with Lomi Lomi?
2: I suppose that massage would probably be, if you looked in the dictionary for what the word lomi lomi means, you're gonna see to pound, to knead, to massage. But for us, that word goes much, much deeper because lomi lomi for us was actually not only the practice of doing body work within our communities, but it was actually a way that we prepared the body for the next realm or for the afterplace, It was the act of lovingly massaging the body with salt to purify the journey into the next place and also to help to tenderize the flesh because we would keep the bones as a way for the spirit, the ha, the breath of life to return from the after place to support those that were still in the flesh here on earth. So this was a practice of preparation. And it was, as I said before, also a way to, of course, make sure that if someone had an injury, we were releasing the muscles and tissues. And if they had a dislocation of a joint or something like that, we were bone setting, bringing the body into alignment through these Lomi Lomi practices. And Lomi Lomi was really the physical aspect of well-being, but it wasn't separated from the way that we approached all the other aspects of the being. And it was very holistic in its practice and and its approach.
1: So I was really struck by this notion that lovingly massaging the body of your loved one who has passed away, close quote, And it made me think of something in Judaism called the Hevra Kadisha, which means holy society. And these are women and men who are prepared, trained to prepare bodies for burial. So they stay with the body, they clean the body, they wrap the body in a shroud, they pray with the body. It's always, the the body is always um, in the company of someone who is reciting Psalms so that the deceased is not alone. And i'm mm-hmm. I'm wondering not everyone can do this in Judaism. I, mean, I mean, anyone can volunteer to get trained, but you have to be trained. Is there something similar in the Hawaiian culture where people are especially trained for Lomi Lomi?
2: Yes, we would have had people in our communities that were were trained in that, but really it would be those same people in the family who were trained and who were sought after and even from a young age, you know, watching the young ones as they came through the generations to see which ones would be the ones that would be chosen to carry on these certain what we call kuliana or responsibilities within the family. And yes, very similar to what you described, we would have done chants and prayers and really cleared away through even the practice of Ho'oponopono any um, disharmonies with that person so that they could make their way very gently and easily to the next realm, find their way to that western gate, which would be the leaping places. And in each of our islands, we have these these places and spaces, we call them lele, where the spirit will leap to the next realm, escorted typically by an animal guardian.
1: Mm. Does each person have her own specific guardian or...
2: Yes, very often animal guardians will be revealed to the individual, but we also had our family guardians as well. We call them aumakua. So for instance, in my family, we have a shark aumakua, and yet my personal aumakua is the owl. And that has come as I've grown older, as those that were my guardians and teachers in this life have passed on. You watch during that first year um, after death to see which, in, in which ways they will come to you and the owl has been one that's continually come, and especially in that first year. So now when I see an owl and at certain specific times, I just know that I'm being guided by that personal Amakua. And that was an auntie of mine who was a teacher of mine in this life and has now passed on and supports me from the other side.
1: So, I mean, it's really fascinating. I mean, I've been in other cultures on the continent Uh, where they have something similar. And I've gone through rituals where, well, I was actually for a deceased chief, Chief Red Elk. And I was involved in some ritual honoring him. And during the ritual, the person who was in charge said that my omakua was a coyote. So Uh. I'm not sure what to make of any of that. But you mentioned Ho'oponopono. So tell us about that.
2: So Hoʻoponopono is really the practice of being in alignment with yourself, being in alignment in your interpersonal relationships, and being in alignment and connection with the divine. And so really, hoʻo gives action to any Hawaiian word. And pono means to be in harmony, be in balance, be in, in integrity. And so when you put those two to words together, then it gives action to that idea of restoring balance, restoring alignment, and, and being, being in harmony with all things. And it's a practice that we do personally. It's a practice that we do with others.
1: I, I got the impression from the article that it has to do a lot with forgiveness.
2: Yes, there's many many different lineages of of ways that ho'oponopono was practiced in individual families and they would all say something very similar to what I shared with you about the foundation of what ho'oponopono is. And then the way that it was practiced within families may have varied, you know, from island to island, from district to district. And the way that we practiced it in my family was it was basically conflict resolution. So, yes, forgiveness was involved. There would have typically been someone who was a mediator or a medium who would oversee the people that were involved directly or indirectly in the conflict. If, if say, someone in our family had had a, a conflict, everybody would be Called together, not just those two families, not just those two people, but also all of the children, all of the extended family, because especially the children would need to also learn and be able to experience that process of coming back together. And usually everybody had an opportunity to share what they felt the problem was, and of course it would begin with prayer and everybody's commitment and intention to coming to resolution. And then once everybody had had a chance to share what they felt that the problem was and how it had affected them, everybody was asked to come together with some sort of solution. And in our family, we weren't only allowed to come with one solution because then there's only one expected outcome. If you come with many solutions or a couple different um, solutions, now we have a conversation and that conversation would continue until we were all in alignment with, with what, you know, we felt a resolution or a reasonable solution to the problem was. And within that ceremony, we would have what we call mihi and kala. Mihi is to humbly ask for forgiveness, and kala would be to release or to forgive. And once that process of mihi and kala was complete, there would be a period we called Hamo, which would be a moment of silence. And in that silence, it was a commitment to never speaking of it again, um, so that anything that was there resolved in the Ho'oponopono circle didn't go outside the circle and that harmony that was created be as it was shared and disseminated, and many of those feelings conjured up of disharmony once again, and it's kind of like spreading a weed back out into the garden that you've just gotten clear again. So um, that was a really important piece, that period of never speaking of it again, so that you weren't bringing past hurts into your current situations. And um, it was also an opportunity to reflect on all that had been shared. And then typically we would close with prayer, with pule, and then we would break bread together and eat together. So the opening prayer would be opening to the realms, to all the ancestors, because oftentimes when we're coming with conflicts, we know um, that it's not just only what's happening in this situation right now, because we bring past hurts and whatnot forward with us into what's current at times. We could bring generational baggage. We could bring life trauma or past life trauma if that's what you believe in. And so this would be a way of opening the time of the sacred during the Ho'oponopono so that those ancestors could come and also guide and support the coming together and the restoration of harmony. And then afterwards we would close with prayer and we would close that time of the sacred. And we would come together in the time what we would call Noah, which is back to the physical realm, back to the earth plane. And one of the fastest ways to do that is to break bread and eat together. And oftentimes we would share one of our staple foods called taro and, or kalo we say. And we would would eat together eat something that was rooted to the earth so that we could come back to that physical realm with that knowledge and that sharing complete.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: From listening to you that this is deeply rooted in in the culture of Hawaii, deeply rooted in your own family culture. One of your teachers, if not your primary teacher, uh, was Margaret Machado, if I'm pronouncing her name right. Yes. Yeah. And she brought Lomi Lomi outside of the culture, starting in the 1980s. And I know it was controversial because this, I mean, this is Hawaiian and you're bringing it to people who are not Hawaiian. I've looked at, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of effort, but you can look at what happened to yoga in the United States, to mindfulness practice, to even Kabbalah from the Jewish mystical side of things. They all get co-opted by capitalism. And I'm curious, cause you, you don't limit this now to your, your family or your indigenous culture. You teach people from all over the world. So, so really two questions. Do you worry about losing its Hawaiian heart And then the other question is, do people really get it if they're not part of that everyday, ongoing, deep, family-connected culture?
2: That's a really wonderful question. And actually, this is a question that I get oftentimes from my students. You know, they want to be culturally appropriate, and they're wondering if they can, you know, incorporate these teachings if they're not Hawaiian. And, you know, so many of my teachers... Auntie Margaret Machado included, Auntie Mahilani Poi. these were some really amazing elders who really saw that we had been keeping our teachings in protective secrecy for so long. And that had to do with many different things that happened in our timeline. And I think I shared a little bit of that in the article. And you know, I think that indigenous families and, and communities all over the world kind of went through something similar. And you know, here we are in a global society, a global community. We have the ability to travel much farther outside of our communities now in just a matter of minutes, even over the internet as we're doing right now. And they saw that with a changing world and a progressing time, these teachings would be needed out in the world. And they broke some of their protective protocols in order that they could use these teachings that they knew were so healing to spread the message of aloha and forgiveness across the globe, because it was something that everybody would need. And really, these teachings, although they are embedded in our culture, are universal teachings. One of my teachers, Auntie Mahilani Poipoi, Poi, shared that Hawaiians carry all bloodlines. <laughs> that we are a combination of all of these travels, these explorations, these migrations throughout the Pacific, and that um, we are the children of the rainbow, and we are welcoming all the children of the rainbow, one family, one heart, and that is really at the foundation of our teachings of the spirit of Aloha. That, that aloha, that ha, that breath of life, that love is really at the core foundation of every single being that walks the earth. And that mindset of keeping it under protective secrecy fell away when they received the insight that it was just time. It's time to come together. It's time to heal the past. It's time to shape the future with the energetic of aloha. And they spread that message themselves at a time, yes, where it was very controversial. And they trained those of us who have continued on after them to spread the message in the same way. I can say that not every Hawaiian is in that place yet. There are still those who have upset about the overthrow of the kingdom. There are those that, you know, as Hawaiians being, you know, for decades at the lowest end of the totem pole here in the islands with the highest rate of illness and the highest rate of heart disease and cardiovascular disease and and, um, diabetes and all of those things. We're we're understanding that this has to do with the breaking down of a spirit of a culture and really spiritual violence that led to that during different points on, on our timeline and even the missionary timeline. And we're we're, you know, coming back to our origins that say actually aloha is the way. We can be angry and some of us are still in that place, uh, you know, not completely united as Hawaiians in our viewpoint. But I, I see that shifting as well. I see that shifting as a result of even Standing Rock, you know, where we watched indigenous people stand for their sacred places and uh, on Mauna The Hawaiians are doing the same, standing in what they call kapu aloha. So aloha, of course, being love and the exchange of divine breath and kapu meaning sacred, being in sacred aloha no matter what. And that that practice of even in adversity, you know, remaining steadfast in aloha and putting it into practice as they've been on the mountain now, you know, 150 days and plus. So,
1: you know, so it sounds to me like two things seem to be happening here, if I'm hearing you right. One is that you're bringing these teachings to the world because the world needs the healing. And then at the same time, it sounds like a renaissance of the Hawaiian wisdom in Hawaii itself. Um, it's true. Do, do you see yourself sort of as a I don't I don't want to overstate it. So but I'm gonna say leader and you can say what you want. But Gina, do you see yourself leading this dual thing, this this global healing using Hawaiian lomi lomi and practices from your culture as well as healing your culture?
2: I do. And you know, this was a, a kuleana. this was a responsibility that um, our teachers took upon themselves and passed that responsibility on to us as they left this world to continue to perpetuate these teachings. And when I say that these teachings, yes, they come from Hawaii, but they're universal, really it's to just ignite a remembering of who we are as you know, beings of light and, and the caretakers of that light of aloha as a human race. And yes, I do. I do see myself in that way as an ambassador of these teachings of aloha. And it excites me to see the transformation happening here in the islands, to see the transformations and the healing of the timelines within our people here, because our timeline is no different than you know most people's timelines. And, you know, I, I can take a look at your Jewish background in the same way. Um, That, you know, there are many things that have happened over our timelines that we, even generations later, are still working through to heal from, to to move forward in our best way. And um, these practices have been in place in order to do just that very thing. And so it doesn't mean that you don't have your practices in Judaism or any of the other indigenous um, cultures either, but... The purpose of me sharing these teachings from our Hawaiian culture is to help ignite that remembering in the DNA of everyone across the globe to help to heal those things in themselves and plug it back into their cultures if they've fallen away from their cultural practices or those indigenous practices that they are connected to through their DNA to help to heal those things and also um to create a different future, a brighter future of connection.
1: So Gina, that's a perfect way to bring the conversation to a close. And I, I hope people are hearing the, the hopefulness in, in what you're saying. So I wanna thank you for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Our guest today was Gina Nalua'i, is uh, featured in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. If people want to learn from you, and they don't, they're not on the islands, they're not in Hawaii, how would they do that?
2: They can come and visit us on learnlomilomi.com. We also have a Facebook page, Ho'o Mana Lomi Lomi Training, that they can connect with us online from across the globe. And we'll be offering more and more opportunities for people to learn both live retreats, both in live retreats here on Maui. And we also do travel to other places, Canada, Europe, Japan, to share these teachings as well. And all that you can find at LearnLomiLomi.com.
1: Fantastic. Gina, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Aloha. Aloha. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health Magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.